Thank you, Jesus. How blessed we are to have a God who does the things he does in us and through us so that you can be alone in your bedroom and God decide, actually, I think I'm going to touch you today. Wake you up. And you're not just restless. You realize, wow, I've been awakened. I, I should spend some time with the Lord. It's early in the morning. What doth hinder? That's that relationship that is that real. So, you know, you, you realize that, that if someone's not sleeping, they can, they can wake you up. Say, are you awake? Yes, I am now. And they can talk. It's like, well, I need to talk. And that's what God is. He's that real. It shouldn't be, gee, I, I wish I could get to the church and, and talk with somebody that, that knows the Lord. It's, it's a relationship that goes with us and carries us through these things and brings us to that end result of what God wants. You and I are, are blessed that He loves us that way. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 42. I love the book of Isaiah. It's uh, a New Testament book, even though it was placed in the Old Testament. It's the book of grace. And I must have taken my glasses with me, so I'll have to just read this with squinty little eyes. And uh, I want to... uh, And uh, we can start with verse 1 is a great place. Oh, thanks, Fred. Oh, my glasses. Thanks. <laughs> See, only he and I know the secret of that, Bill. They really are his. Thanks, Fred. Uh, talking about Jesus, this whole book is about his story. And truly, from Genesis to Revelation, you open your Bible... I started reading the Bible when I was 12 years old after God touched me. And, uh, of course, I started at the beginning, which is a prudent thing to do in the Bible, but the Bible doesn't really necessarily follow from front to back. Well, I didn't know that. I'd heard lots of great sermons, but I was now being introduced to this, this precious book. But it started out historical. Genesis starts out with the very beginning, which is wise because it shows us how God became a father to us and watched over us. So he created Adam a son, put him in a garden, which is exactly what a dad wants to do with his kids. Safe place. Give him everything. You can't ask for a better place than the Garden of Eden. And uh, the Bible called it paradise. And uh, all God asked him to do is keep the weeds out. And you know what? That's a really great thing for a father to do because when you have a responsibility for the place where you're at, you recognize that you're not just uh, there to find time too boring to, to deal with. Because when you're pulling weeds, I don't know about you, but if you plant a big garden, you find that you don't have a lot of idle time. 
Because weeds are kind of a, an intrusion into the beauty of your garden. And so Adam sees this garden that God made, and God made it beautiful. I've seen some beautiful gardens. I know you've seen some beautiful places on earth. And in this environment, God gives him a sense of responsibility, and he can tell whether or not he's doing the things that he ought to do. And there's nothing so uh, encouraging as to look back across the job you've done and have it done well. When I first uh, went to Nebraska, this farmer hired me, and, and man, he had a, a 18-foot disc and 1,200 acres and big John Deere tractor, and he put me on that tractor, showed me how to make the thing run, drop the disc in the ground, and said, here's 40 acres I want you to plow. Actually, 60 acres. I want you to plow this 60 acres. And you guys had had weeds and stuff, and, and I started early in the morning, and I just kept making that round around that. And when I finished that afternoon, the sun was getting low in the Nebraska sky, and all that ground was dark brown. And there was nothing in it except, except the beauty of having this symmetric tracing of those disc blades on the earth. And it was clean. And I wanted to, actually, I just, I sat there for a minute and just looked out across that because it was done, but I didn't expect it to look like that. I didn't expect it to look clean and, and those lines all running around it like I'd done something that was like artwork. And I thought, man, that is, that is really satisfying. And I'm thinking, this is a great thing. I, I, I got the best job on the planet. I take the earth and I make it look like I drew in it. This is like mud pies when you're an adult. And I was having the time of my life. But you guys, there was something precious in that because God wanted me to understand about changing the earth. Because when it came time to plant seeds, we would do the same thing with that disc and run a, a board across it, actually, for better description, and it would, it would level it real neat. Had uh, chains like behind it, and it just would make it really, really neat. Then we would come along with a planter that, that planted the wheat in the ground. And at the end of the planter is this little wheel. And, and so I asked the farmer, what is that that's out there? He said, well, that's, that's how you can tell where you've been. Now, you see, I've taken ground that was uh, color of, of the dried earth, weeds here and there, and I turned it into something that you could tell every time you went around. You didn't need anybody to tell you where you dissed the last time. It was easy to find that brown spot. It's like mowing in tall grass, yeah? You don't need to know where the, the line is. You can see the line. And I started driving out across there. And when I came back around to the beginning place, you couldn't tell where you planted. And that's the way planting is. And that's the thing about the church is you can't tell when you've planted that seed from God. Because Jesus didn't say, I'm the great teacher. And he was indeed a great teacher. He said, I'm a sower. I have something alive. And I'm going to sow this seed in you. And you guys, that's, that's this difference between what the world deals with, with life and what God deals with. Because when a child is conceived, you don't know. You have no idea. So, this process of sowing seed is like that. And what God said is, I have this salvation plan that is like this. I'm going to sow seed in you. But I'm not going to do it unless you want to marry me. That's what the, the sense of relationship is like. And so, what he does is he courts your heart. 
We go to church and think he should court us the very first time, and he does. But it's interesting because when you first meet somebody, you're not sure that you love them. In fact, you probably wouldn't love them the first time you met them, am I right? And some people just kind of grow on you. See, for those of you that are, that are new here today, I have grown on some of these people. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's some things you like, there's some things you don't like. You go to a restaurant and somebody takes you there and says, you're going to love this stuff. And you taste it and it's like... <laughs> and you don't know how to tell them. And they're just eating away. And you go ahead and eat, right? Because your friend bought you. You just go ahead and eat it. My dad, when I was uh, little, he, he worked as a, as a mechanic for Navajo Freight Lines. And I loved big trucks. So I would tell my dad, can I go to work? He worked the night shift. And there's only four or five guys that worked the night shift at Navajo because trucks would come in with something that needed to be done. And they had these mechanics that could get it back on the road. So there weren't very many people. It's a huge shop in, in Denver. Colorado, and, and I would tell him, I'd like, can I go to work with you? Because my plan was that I could get up in a truck and get in a sleeper and see what it's like to sleep in a truck. Mm-hmm. Is, does that sound exciting to you? Probably not. So one day he says, you know, you could go to work with me. Man, I am, I am, I am all geared for this thing. He takes me to work, and, and it's still daylight, and, and this is out on Santa Fe Boulevard, for those of you that know Denver, which is a death-defying act. And my dad says to me, uh, you see that little store over there? I said, just. He said, here's 25 cents. I want you to go and get me a can of rolled filet of anchovies. So I memorize it. And I go over, it was 19 cents, and I bring the, the can of rolled anchovies back. And... So he opens this my dad. He opens this up, and I'm having, I'm having a day with my dad. You get this, right? I'm going to lay down in one of those sleepers in the back of one of these big semis. I'm going to get to climb up in it, and I'm probably going to play with the steering wheel first. I'm not going to tell you exactly how much all that happened, but and I'm going to lay down in the back and tell myself I'm a trucker. Wow, what a deal. And uh, my dad says, do you want one? Well, my dad's eating them. Now, if you've never tasted rolled fillets of anchovies, get a can today. <laughs> Picture the enthusiasm of my appetite for anchovies. My dad ate it, and I must have made faces that you couldn't stop from making. Because he said, do you like that? And my brain was saying, spit it out. <laughs> But I'm not going to spit it out in front of my dad, right? Because he's watching me to see how I'm enjoying it. It's like... And then one day, I'm in a grocery store later, and I'm thinking, I see this little can of anchovies. I thought, well, that wasn't bad. And I, I kind of had the same response the second time. And then I was in school, and they were reading about these English people, and they were eating these fish that had been smoked, and I'm thinking, I've done that. I'm just a little tyke. What do I know about good things to eat? And you know, now I eat anchovies. See, I took that long route to take you around to where 
we acquire an appetite for some things. And Christianity is not uh, less than a courtship. It's never been less than a courtship. Because when you read the Bible, Jesus compared his church to a bride. And the precious thing about a bride is that your dad could go find a wife for you. I thank God we don't do that in this country. And uh, I knew that would be a chorus of amen. <laughs> Much as we love our dads, my dad liked anchovies, so, you know. The thing is, what God does is brings us into a courtship relationship, but that, that's something where he asks you, what would you do with me? And I can't think of a more humble thing for a God who created the universe than to come to ask us nicely, because he created us with an ability to tell him no. God gave you power equals his power. Is that true? Think about that. He has power over the whole of the, of the cosmos. But he made me and you, and in order to have us really be relationship, he had to give us the power to tell him no things. No, I, I don't think I would want a relationship with you. And here's the thing. He had an adversary, and that adversary knew that if he could misrepresent God to people, he could create a war in them. And they would not understand who God was. They wouldn't understand what it was that he really asks. And so... God tells us these things in the Bible. And so I want to go over here to Isaiah 42. And he's talking about Jesus. Now this is more than 400 years before he's even born. The great thing about Israel's history is that God foretold it. Most people write their history after it happens. God wrote it before it happened. Most of the Old Testament was history proclaimed in advance. Only God could do that. Book of Genesis, God tells Noah there's going to be a flood. It is not historical. It doesn't tell us that the heavens opened up and the rain began to fall and there was a great flood. It tells us that God spoke to a man and told the man there's going to be a flood. And I want you to build a safe way through it. I want you to build an ark because the rain is going to fall right here. And it's going to get so deep that this is how we're going to deal with sin. I'm going to deal with sin by death. Yes? Death is going to fix the problem of sin on the earth. You think that doesn't sound like a, a loving, merciful thing. And actually, it does. To have death come instantly depends on where you're at and what you're going through. But the Bible said wickedness was so bad that God understood it would be better to stop the wickedness all at once. You guys, that, that Jordanian pilot that was in the cage that these men doused with gasoline. Before they set it on fire, do you think he would rather drown with all of them than to be burned to death? In this past year, a girl had her boyfriend fill her mouth with lighter fluid. You heard the news stories. And then he lit it on fire. When I was in Arkansas, this man and woman had gotten together and she had a daughter 12 years old from another relationship and this guy decided that the devil was in this 12-year-old girl. They lived 
midway between uh, Harrison, Arkansas and, and uh, Jasper. And he convinced this woman that the only way to get rid of that devil was to kill that girl. They took her into a field and shot her with a twenty-two. And she ran towards her mother, begging. And he shot her again. And because of twenty-two, and he shot her again. And he shot her again. You guys, we're coming to a time that we understand why God would say, if you knew what I knew that's happening in the world with children, if you knew what's happening throughout the land of the United States that's happening to people that cannot stop what's going on around them, you would understand why I, I brought a flood that stopped everything dead in its tracks. Because just in a moment it was over. Without the torment, without the torture, without... And that's what happens when the flesh has its way. You guys, it becomes a beast. And we've seen this beast arise again and again through history. And I can tell you that, that you wouldn't think that human beings could be that unkind to each other, but they are. They can be. And so what God did was He came with a, a solution that was different than to train us with a Bible and, and a, a good do-good attitude. What he did was he died on the cross to pay for all sin, all yours, all mine. And he made a way of salvation that said, all you have to do is ask me and I will come into you. And the reason he wanted you to invite him to come into your being is that if you would invite him into your mind, he could begin to change the way you think. But it is an invitation. He does not want to overcome you. He doesn't want you to be a robot. What God wants is a real relationship. He could have made a tape recorder if he wanted to hear himself be praised. He could have made a tape recording and made the angels all praise him. Then anytime he wanted to be praised, he could do that. Pretty hollow, yes? You could do that. You could put a message on your phone. You come home at night, turn the message on and says, Wow, wow, it's so great to see you. Wow, you look so good. I can't, I've, I've longed to see you today. Except that you know it's your voice and you'd realize, wow, that's, it's way better to have someone else do it, yes? And so it is with God. But you guys, here's the thing. He gave us an opportunity to serve Him, and the beginning of it is a rebirth, and you have to invite Him, please. Please come into me. I don't know anything about loving you. I wish I did. I know I need you, and I know that I need my sins washed away, and I know that, that I'm guilty before you for things. I need your forgiveness. Well, that's what God began to do at the beginning of the Bible, to show us that there was a way for relationship and for us to come through that place. So here in Isaiah chapter 42, he said, Behold my servant, talking about Jesus, I want to show you something that's coming, he said, whom I uphold, my elect. Elect, we understand what an election is. We're coming into election time. Lots of choices, choosing among the choices, yes? Same thing with relationship. In whom my soul delighted. You guys, once Jesus came into me, I thought I loved him like nothing that had ever happened to me before. That day that he came into me and he took all that torment away from me, I was absolutely set free. I, li I suddenly came into a bubble of ecstasy I cannot explain. And to know that he loved me. I'd gone to church, but now I knew he loved me. This, this man who prayed for me told me things in my life that only God would have known. I knew this was God. And then it set me free. I was absolutely set free. And that torment left my mind. 
And I went home and went to sleep. Like Jacob talking about the testimony this morning that God woke him up and, and by 6 o'clock he's drinking milk. That kind of change. In whom my soul delights. But you guys, I love him more now than I ever loved him before. He's that kind of, of God. He's that kind of love. I, I know you hear me talk about him all the time and I just, I just tell him when I'm praying, God, you're a love. You're a love. You've loved me. You've kept me. You've loved these people. You love the earth. You love God so loved the world around us. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. This isn't you and I having some uh, corner on the market. God loved the whole world. The problem with them not knowing about it is that you and I have been remiss in letting them see it. It isn't about you and I telling them. It's about you and I living something in this love relationship with God that they see in you this, this joy unspeakable full of glory and they want to know what you got. And they want to know where you got it and how you got it. It's that. It's about this indwelling God that brings a relationship. Listen to me. The first time you get a girlfriend when you're in seventh grade or sixth grade, I don't know when you got your first girlfriend, fifth grade. I hope you were older, but by, by third grade, you're noticing the girls are there, yes? You just talk mean about them. But when you first come into a place of relationship where you begin to notice people, you, you begin to recognize this sense of wanting to have a, a sense of connection. And this is what God created in us, this, this desire to have a relationship. And what He does in us is He makes us understand that there's a sense of responsibility to that person. And isn't that funny? You're not very old, but you recognize that there's a sense of responsibility to it. And that other person kind of defines they're part of what they think a relationship should be. And, and you accept that, you understand it, and you learn to, to work with that. Yes? And a really wise person learns to work with the things that you're being taught by someone else on what a relationship would build from. People that don't learn that or people that don't pay any attention to it, if they're the center of the universe, how many of you have had the, tried to have a relationship with somebody that they were the center of the universe? If your boyfriend has mirrors all over his walls, if he goes to the gym and you go with him and he just stares at himself the whole time, you're getting a message. You can stand in front of the mirror all you want. He's just not going to notice you're there. Or he'll tell you, uh, excuse me, please get out of the way. And what God wants is for you and I to come into this place where we realize that Christianity has responsibility to the love. To the love. There's love there that will lift you up and carry you through anything. He answers your prayers. He's there where you're at. He, he deals with your issues. Just like Hannah was talking. I needed something from God. I need peace. I need something that He can deal with my issues. I need something that can come inside of me and instantaneously begin to deal with these things that I can't deal with. Men want you to go back and deal with the stuff. God gets rid of it. God just brings you into a place that those fears are all gone. Those, those things that, that tell your future are broken. I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And it's interesting, you guys. Bringing judgment to the Gentiles. He brought to me and you the judgment of sin. And the great thing about that is that if the world judged sin as bad, you and I'd live safe. 
our cities would be safe. How many know that's right? When you judge what's wrong and you know what's right, and that's what God's telling us is there's some right things and there's some wrong things. And what, what we're trying to do now is, is cloud what's right and what's wrong. But there are some things that are right and there are some things that are destructive. And what it takes is the Spirit of God for us to tell the difference. And I guarantee you that God will bring judgment on an issue in your life and He'll tell you this really isn't going to be beneficial to you. This is not going to benefit you. So I want you to make choices about it. Now here's what He said. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Now you know that before Jesus came, that God used the Jewish people to show that He was the real God. He took those people, He blessed them, He he delivered them from Egypt's bondage. The whole world talked about these people, these Jews. uh, Somehow they had a corner on God. He heard their cry. He was a consuming fire. He consumed their enemies. He opened the Red Sea, drowned their enemies. He did it down through history. He just kept doing it over and over again. The whole world knew that the Jewish people were, were God's special people. Then they walked away from God. And the adversary, Satan, decided to destroy him because he was jealous all that time and God kept him protected. And if they would have stayed in the protected place of righteousness, the devil could never have touched them. Their enemies would have always been destroyed. Now, they didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. Am I right? And that's because God was bringing them to a place that He kept asking them, come and have a relationship with me and hold on to the responsibility you have for the relationship. Honor me. Believe me. Trust me. And when they came to this place that they would not, He moved to the Gentiles. And this is what this prophecy is saying. He's going to bring judgment to the Gentiles. They'll begin to understand. And you guys, I thank God for that. Because Jesus showed us that I'm a real God in the Jewish people. Then He moved to me and you. Because everybody could see. Rahab the harlot could see that Israel had something that nobody else in the world had. This is what he says now. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. Jesus came and he didn't, he didn't intend to, to magnify himself so loud that people couldn't dismiss him. And isn't that the greatness about relationship? It's because he came and, and in his own gentle way he tapped people on the heart. And from that tapping came a desire to, to either accept him or, or, no, I don't want him. But he just kept tapping. He just kept tapping. Because he understood that, that one tap isn't enough. So that's the way God deals in relationship. It's the thing that he begins to form. And he brings us into that place. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall turn forth judgment Unto truth. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. Real judgment. Real right and wrong. Not what you and I say is right and wrong. And you guys, that's part of the confusion of the church is that people are looking for real right and wrong. And, and it seems like every Christian group has a different set of rights and wrongs. So we would like to obey God, but we're not sure what's right and we're not sure what's wrong. So he said, I'm going to bring you. I will personally deal with you. And then you'll Understand what I'm saying to you about right and wrong. A bruised reed. So, verse 4. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth that opened which cometh out of it, He that giveth bread unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and will give you for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes. He's talking about Jesus. He's telling him, I'm giving you for this. To open the eyes, blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison. 
You guys, some of us are bound by things that have kept us in a prison. Jesus came to set us free from the prison. To bring us out of those things that held us captive. You guys, some of the worst bondages are not bars, not not concrete walls. The worst bondages we have are the bondages that we carry with us that we personally have to make up our mind that we need deliverance from. Because some of them feel good. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prisons of them that set in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that's my name, and my glory will not... I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So, what God tells us in this is that Jesus had a plan to bring us to salvation. To bring us to this place where He would do something in our life that would make the difference. I thank God for doing what He's done in the lives of people in this place. To hear the songs that were sung. To hear the things that have happened. How God has led our lives and brought us into a place that His Spirit could talk to us. It takes His presence to bring us. When I was in Scotland, you know, I I enjoy going to Scotland uh, because the Reformation that was there, I, I draw a particular joy from. Because God confronted the fact that Christianity was moving its own direction. And brought us into a place that we could walk in this newness of life. You guys, here, here's what God did with righteousness. He gave us a breastplate of righteousness. How many know what I'm talking about in, in the armament? Righteousness is something that creates in us a sense of well-being with God. When you have well-being with God, peace comes on you. And you guys, I can tell you. But in this hour, there's lots of turmoil that comes against us. When I was uh, praying about going to, to Europe, I, I don't discount the fact that there's terrorism going on everywhere, that airplanes are, are marked out for terrorist attacks, and, and uh, Europe, European cities, these countries that are fighting against ISIS. But you guys, I, I needed the mind of God on dealing with what I should do, because I, I didn't want to just make up my mind I was going to go. I wanted to take my family to Europe. Rachel and I had been through these cities lots of times coming back from Africa. And I was always touched by the presence of God. There was something about uh, being in these places that you could see the, what God did in not just the Holy Land, not just in physical Israel, but, but all over the earth, how he created pockets on this earth and began to bring forth right actions. Right actions. And one of the things about John Knox was that uh, Mary, uh, Queen of Scots, was a young queen. And, you know, her mom died when she was six months old, so she became queen. And all that historical stuff you guys know, but, but she was taken to France to protect her from the people that would kill her because it would be easy to kill a, a baby that's six months old. And then you would be king or someone else could take the rulership. So she was raised in, in the French courts. And when she came back to Scotland, she was a young woman, but she was raised in Catholicism. And you guys, religion is a battleground. Because people think that all religions are okay. It's like, you know, you know, believe if you're sincere, you're going to make it. You guys, that's not true. Jesus said it's real, real narrow. He said, I'm the door. And the reason he's the door is because he died for us. And so you and I have to accept the fact that he paid for your sins, that his blood paid for your sins. So it isn't about just going to church or or doing religious things or talking about Jesus. 
It is about following this pattern that I have to accept him as having paid for my sins. I have to believe he did that. You have to believe he did that for you. And you guys, it isn't that he just paid for my sins past. I have to believe that he will continue to pay for my sins because he said, if I'll confess my sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive me my sins and he will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's Christianity. That's the very bedrock of it. If I'll confess to him my sins, he will forgive him and he will cleanse me. Not I will cleanse me. It's not about you cleansing yourself. It's about God coming inside of you and changing the way you think. This breastplate of righteousness that God brought to them uh, in Israel's history, he brought them this breastplate. And you guys, it was, it was uh, four square, the Bible said. And that's because it was perfect. It was the same dimensions wide as it was tall. And so he's telling us that this breastplate will protect you. It's over your breast. And you guys, the breastplate is, is a picture of my wants and my appetites, yes? And in Ephesians, he tells us, put on the helmet of salvation. That's my thinking man, my intellect. My appetite man is my chest. That's what the Bible described as it. So what happens is we have appetites, yes? We talk about this all the time. So if I want a McDonald's sandwich at 2 o'clock in the morning, my appetite man says, I'd like to have a McDonald's sandwich and my intellect says it's 2 o'clock in the morning. The McDonald's on 6th Street is open all night. <laughs> See how that works? Appetite asks the mind. The mind gets the idea. And then the mind says, ah, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm not getting up. Depends on what the appetite man does. Because there are sometimes the appetite man goes, no, no, I'm hungry. And the mind says, no. Did you ever do that? Where you, your appetite and your mind are having a, a conflict of interest? <laughs> Dieting does that for me. <laughs> my appetite man says one thing, and my intellect says no. And how many of you know that your appetite man can make a grievous noise? It whines so loud, you can't shut it up. How many know that's right? So ultimately, your, your appetite man keeps pestering your, your thought process till it delivers something. And God gave you and me the power to say no to the appetite. That's what made us different than animals. When God breathed into Adam, made him a living soul, he gave him this living soul, this breath soul. That came out of God. And he can tell the appetite man, no. No. And you guys, when it starts telling the appetite man, no, and it throws a fit, you begin to see how surly a person can be. They, they, they advertise this medicine that you take when you're getting off cigarettes. Nicotine is a terrible addiction. And they tell you, you can have uh, mood swings. And, and there are people that contemplate suicide taking this. And they tell you all the side effects of it. How many have ever heard the side effects of it? It's like, who, who takes that kind of stuff? But if you're desperate to quit, but your appetite man says, I have to have this. And that's what addiction is, yes? Addiction brings you to a place that your appetite man says, I will not shut up. And your intellect man says, I will get it for you. Now, what the Bible tells us is God gives a helmet of salvation, which starts off with this, I'm saved from my appetite man. 
My appetite man don't own me. My appetite man doesn't own me. And everybody in this place, every one of us in here have understood the dynamic of that. I had a friend who would eat a gallon of ice cream at a setting. He invited me over to his house. He had several gallons of ice cream. He said, what kind would you like? And he just opened up the box and set it down and began to eat from it. He was big. I didn't need to tell you that, right? I should have known he could eat a gallon of ice cream at a setting. And I would like, how many of you would like to eat a gallon of ice cream at a setting? I've had some stuff. My mouth just kept saying, I'd eat some more of that. But you tell yourself, no. Why? Because you don't like ice cream? No, because you know that it's got stuff in it that will make you el bordo. And you just don't want to be that big, right? So you tell your mouth, nah, now nah, we've had enough. Every single person has some things that you have to tell yourself, no, you're playing a video game, and, and your mom says, it's three in the morning. You think, it's three in the morning? Hmm, I might as well play till daybreak. <laughs> I'm going to be too tired to go to school. I, I mean, aren't I going to be too tired to go to school? It's like, but you see, what your mother knows is that this game has drawn you in and your appetite is to get to a new level or to finish something or to go on. And to tell yourself no is to, is to stop that. And you guys, so you tell yourself, I'm only going to play my video game 20 minutes every other day. You will make whining noises. I'm just telling you. But you understand that there are some things in life that tell you you've got to get out of the game and get into the game of life. There's some things you've got to tell yourself no and face a brand new direction. And you know, we don't like telling ourselves no in this country. We want to be told yes. Yes is our new word. No is bad. Every parent recognizes that, right? The first time you use no, it sort of creates a warfare between you and the little thing. And what God is telling me and you is that that's what the breastplate of righteousness is. The breastplate of righteousness is my safety from things that are not right. I can't live in things that are not right and live in the peace of God. In Proverbs, he tells us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run therein and are safe. Listen to me. If ever we needed to be able to enter into that place, we need it now. If we ever needed to be able to come into a place of righteousness, we need it now. Because it is in that that we can enter into safety. Into peace. So we go back to this place of what are my actions like? What's taking my peace away? And you guys, we want peace through all kinds of stuff. There are people who try to drown their peacelessness. Medicate their peacelessness. And you guys, here's the the bottom line of the issue. Righteousness opens up for me and you a place of peace. A place of peace. You want to dwell in peace, you walk in the place of righteousness. The Word of God lays out for you a foundation. And you can just go to God and say, God, you show me right and wrong. You show me your right, your wrong. Help me to walk in it. You help me to come into this place that I have a breastplate of righteousness that takes my appetites and brings them under the dominion of your idea of what's right. So that I walk in this place that there's safety in you. 
You guys, that is exactly what the Spirit of God wants you and I to have. The ability to sleep in a place where it's dangerous. Because the Spirit and presence of God gives you peace. Because He takes away the torment. And you guys, when you understand that your appetite, man, will lead you out of that place of peace, it will lead you out of that place where that righteousness dwells on you. When you feel righteous, you lay down and go to sleep. I'm just telling you, you do. When you feel like your relationship with God is right, you lay down and you just, boom, you're off to sleep. That's the preciousness about what God does. So he tells us this. You and I have a time of choice at hand. Things are changing around this world. We're coming to a time of election, but I think everybody understands that men are not going to fix what's happening in this country. We've become lawless at the core, and we've told ourselves that lawlessness is okay. We've thrown off the restraints of God. God said, love one another. God said, love your neighbor as yourself. God isn't about color. God is never about color. Jesus said, you ask me, I'll come to live inside of you, and I'll make you my bride. Every human being, doesn't matter what color you are, you invite Christ to live inside of you. He comes to live inside of you. And brings you into his bride. Red and yellow, black and white, doesn't matter. And what God has brought to the church is an understanding that says, my prejudices come out of things that have fed my mind. And I'm laying with the feet of the cross. Because everybody on this earth has an opportunity from God to be born again if the church would act right. But you guys, we cannot segregate ourselves from one another, do things that are not right in front of the world and tell the world we're serving a God that does what's right. You can't live your life the way you want to live it and and have your appetites in control of you and tell the world, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but I don't walk for Him. I don't live for Him. You can't do that. So He's bringing me and you into a place that says, look, here's the place of accountability. I want you to come to me. And I will bring you into a place that I'm going to give you a helmet of salvation and a breastplate of righteousness. And my name is a strong tower. And when you need salvation, you can run into me and I let the righteous in. I let the righteous in. And so I have to understand that God has given me power to say no to my flesh man, to my appetite man. He's given me power to do that. If I don't accept that power and I lay it all on him, well, you didn't change me. That isn't how he said it. I've given you power. I want you, I want you to read a verse with me in First John, or in John chapter 1, please, real quick, and we're out of here. John chapter 1. He tells us, well, I'm going to read a couple of verses. You know that's going to work that way, right? <laughs> Verse 10, he was in the world talking about Jesus. And the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He was in the world. The world was made by him, but the world didn't know he made it. They didn't know he was God. 
he came to his own, meaning to the Jewish people. He came to the people that should have known him and who were waiting for the Messiah. And his own received him not. They didn't receive him as the Messiah. But as many as received him, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Born by the will of God. The thing I recognize is that God has brought us here. And when you came, God made you understand that you could be born by the will of God. Your mom and dad, you were first born by the will of the flesh. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and Jesus said, you've got to be born again. He'd been born by the will of the flesh. His mom and dad had a child named Nicodemus. Now, Jesus said, I want you to be born again of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said, I don't understand that. Do I have to go back to my mother? Jesus said, you have to be born of the Spirit. So, you guys, there's a new man. And this is the glory of what God does. Remember, we were talking about the seed in the beginning of the service. When you invite Jesus in, a seed happens to you. And it begins to grow inside of you, and it came out of him because he was the champion. I say this all the time. He was the champion. He lived on the earth 33 years without sin. And he was crucified, never having sinned. So he lived in the flesh, tempted as you are, without sin. And God took him as the champion. And he took out of the champion the seed, this seed that cannot fail, did not fail. The proof is he never did fail. And he died on the cross. So you guys, God harvested the seed from that champion. And he brought to me and you this, this incorruptible seed so that you could be born again of a champion, Jesus Christ. Not a second chance. You're not born to try it over again. You're born of the seed that came out of this champion who never sinned. And he comes to dwell inside you. And what he knows how to do is to bring your flesh into surrender to God. And he does it slowly and methodically and carefully. And he just makes it a, uh, he makes it a joy. I have never had uh, a time that there wasn't a joy in the victory that God brought me to the decision. He'd bring me to a decision. And in the decision was a, a victory or defeat. And in the victory, there's always joy. Always joy. And that's what He's doing to me and you. He's bringing us into that place where His Spirit is calling us again to that, to the understanding that He sowed a seed inside of you. It will bring forth life. You ask Him. You sow that seed inside of me. You come inside of me. Then you're a baby Christian. And when you're a baby Christian, you're, you're not going to understand a lot of stuff. And you're not going to get it everything right. And this is where most people who come to serve Jesus begin to fail. Because they think, gee, I should do better than I'm doing. The truth is, if you're in the hands of a potter, he's going to inform you, yes? So you have to have a faith that he will start working on your life like a good dad does. I did things when my dad wasn't there that I wouldn't do in front of my dad. You did things when your dad wasn't there that you wouldn't do in front of your dad. Fred! I don't know. I don't know why that brings such enthusiasm, but see, Fred's my physical brother. Had the same mother, same dad. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. What God does, you guys, is brings us into a place that honestly He grows up inside of us. But the mystery is that when that seed is sowed inside of you, you just have to ask for it, and then you have to believe. God, I believe You washed my sins away. That believing part. Is, is what you get to do. And 
You won't, you won't hold on to it very well all the time, but the Word of God will. And that's why we need that confidence. He's a potter too. He's not just a father, he's a potter. I like that, I like that analogy because I've had God mold me and make me. A lot of people think that their Christianity is they have to mold and make themselves. You guys ought to have failed at it. I got news for you. You would have failed at it. But in His hands, He molds us and makes us and changes us into that vessel He'd have us to be. Am I right? So He does that. But what's my part in this? Surrender and walking in righteousness. Bringing my appetites under the dominion of God. And I know whether or not I am because He convicts me. And when He convicts me, my peace leaves. Yes? And I need something that brings me peace. And surrender and repentance brings me peace. Do I have to do it here at church? No, I can do it at home. I can do it driving down the road in my car. You can repent anywhere. That's the great thing about this personal relationship with God. So, what you and I have is an open door of invitation. But we have a God who says, this is what I want. I want you to walk righteously. I want you to say no to these things that would destroy you. And I will give you power to do it. I'm going to separate things from you. And when I do, you'll begin to realize it's separation time. Sometimes I'm going to talk to you, tell you to stop it. And I want you to stop it. And I'll empower you. You take the first step, I'll empower you. You walk that walk, I'll be with you. So John Knox helped Mary Queen of Scots. She made bad decisions. He corrected her. Here's a commoner confronting a queen. And when he died, the things that men said about him, one of the things that everyone agreed on is that he feared nobody. The man wasn't afraid of anybody. And you guys, that's how you would correct a queen and her appetites. Am I right? You see, God was telling Mary, I know you're a queen. I know you have castles. I understand that you have armies. I understand you think you rule over everything. But you don't rule over me. And you've made some abuses. And he told her what she had done. And you guys, to confront a queen should have meant death for him. But you understand that she feared him because he was a real man of God. And she said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I fear the armies of England. I fear the prayers of this man more than I fear the armies of England. You guys, this woman understood. I can't fight with this man. I can't kill this man. This man stands in a place of righteousness. We've needed it down through the ages. We need people who stand for righteousness, not because they can preach it well, but because they live it. And that's all that God's asking of you and me. Live righteousness. Live a righteous life. Bring judgment on those things that would take away your peace and take you away from God. Come back to me. Rest in me. Fight through these things. You can go through tough stuff. Tom was hit by a car. You're going to have some things happen to you feel like you got hit by a car. Yes? Yes. Let's stand together. Born again. Real relationship. A relationship based 
on a rebirth. The seed of God planted inside of you to change your nature from your physical nature to a godly kind of nature. Am I right? So the God can wake you up in the middle of the night and say, pray. You're thinking, this is inconvenient. God could have told Jacob, Jacob, how would you like to have a big glass of milk? He could have said, Lord, I'd love to have a big glass of milk. What he said was, get up and pray. Spend some time with me. Spend some time with me. Wakes him up at 2 o'clock. He gets up at 3.33. Am I right? We've all done that. Gets up and begins to pray. A real God doing real business. And when he gets done with the prayer, opens the refrigerator, and all the times that he's ever opened that refrigerator, he had to tell his self no. Am I right? Because having ingested the milk would, would make him suffer. No, it isn't that he didn't want it. It was he understood the consequences were worse. He understood the consequences. So he told himself, no, I'm not going to pay those consequences. And I can tell you in your life there are consequences to the things that you do. You can tell yourself yes, but there will be consequences. And what God is doing now better than we have seen Him in a long time is He's bringing consequences quickly to us so we can make better decisions because conscience can shut stuff off. But consequences reawaken our desire to do it right. And then God said, well, Jacob, if you'd like a glass of milk, why don't you have one? And he knew right away that worked well. That worked well. New day. Appetite now being refreshed by the thing he desired under what? The dominion of God and the healing virtue of God. Yes? Yes. Yes. You want that. I want that. I want it in my life. I want God to be able to tell me yes on the things that I would like to do. But I want to be obedient when he tells me no. I want to walk in that kind of obedience. Father, I thank you for this day. Jesus, I thank you for every testimony, every song. God, I thank you for your word that gives us wisdom. God, plant in us this eternal truth. God, I pray that your word will reach out from this place in us. God, that we would live it and the world would see it. God, that they would feel peace about it. God, that they would feel peace about a real God doing real things in real people. God, I pray that your love would manifest itself in us and through us. God, in your name we pray. God, every person in this place, go with them. God, every moment of this day and tomorrow and every day in their life, God, nurture them, court them, win their hearts. God, as only your love can do it, bring them to that safety of, of your preservation. God, in your name we pray. And Lord, we commit this. Prayer into your hands, God, to bring it to pass. We commit all of these people in your hands to bring your victory in our lives. God, to glorify and exalt you. Jesus, we pray it in your righteous name. Amen and amen. All right. Lord bless you. Go in peace. And we'll see you Wednesday night for uh, Bible study. God bless you.